We're so honored to be here this morning. We just have such beautiful memories of being here many, many years ago, many, many years ago. And we just bless Pastor Mark and, and um, Pastor Mark Anthony and the others, all of you. I just wanted to encourage your heart today. You know, the word of God says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I have a testimony this morning that I think might help you. Maybe some of you have loved ones that you've raised to know the Lord, or maybe they weren't raised, but you have a heart for them to know the Lord. You want them to know our wonderful Jesus. So we had a, our oldest son that we prayed for for 23 years. 23 years, he's 41. He turned 41 last month, and he came back to the Lord this year. So I just want to encourage you. And he called us last night. We were going through a drive-through, and he said, I had an encounter with God. I had an encounter with God. And I looked at my husband on the way home, and I said, what kind of God do we serve that he loves us so much? He honors our prayers. And when things don't turn out our way, we trust him anyways in the mystery of it. But I want to encourage someone today that needs encouragement for a loved one. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Amen. It is such a joy to be back here after 25 years. I had hair the last time I was here. We've been knowing Pastor Mark and Pastor Mac for all this time, and it was always such a joy to get to come here, come to FCMI so many years ago, and the reconnection that we've had over these last few years with these two incredible men of God that you've been blessed to have in this house so many years. And uh, Pastor Mac's fixing to turn 70. We had a little party for him last night. Mac Tucker has been everything that you mean by the word friend to Diane and I. He and Allison have, have chased us and pursued us and believed in us when nobody was left that believed in us. And uh, it's just such a privilege to spend time with them. We were here just a few weeks ago when Mark Anthony preached. Um, we were visiting with Mac and Alice and we came over and my sister and brother-in-law were with us and it's the first time we got to be in church here in so many years and uh, wow, what a gift your associate pastor is to you. Yes. You know, I've heard a lot of people preach on the church. I've been in church all my life. My daddy was a pastor, so I cut my teeth on church pews and I haven't heard a young man preach on the church like that. And it gave me such, I left here, I've told many people about it. I left here with such hope for the next generation of people who still believe that the church matters and that the kingdom of God expresses itself through the body of Christ. Your pastor, I remember when, when I came here, we were all young then. 
I'd never seen a man love young people like he did. And I know there are young men and women who are not so young anymore that love Jesus, that serve Jesus. Some of them serve in full-time ministry because of that man and the way he loved your young people. To see him and Pastor Mark Anthony grow up in this fellowship and be here to to carry on after Pastor Bill retired. You guys are gifted, you're blessed. I hope you know that, what God has done for you. I, I don't do this every week anymore, so when I do have the opportunity, I spend a lot of time with the Lord, praying for the house I'm going to. And I've heard from heaven for this house this morning. But something the Lord gave me, I wanted to, to give to pastors Mark. Uh, and I thought about giving it to them on their own, but I felt like you as a body needed to hear it. I believe I have a word for them and I think you need to hear it because if they receive it, you need to pray into it. So Mark, would you and Pastor Mark Anthony, would you guys come up here for just a minute? I I wanna share something that I feel like the Lord gave to me in prayer for the two of you. You know, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that, that rides on legacy. And it isn't very often that you have the privilege in a house like this to have a father and son carry the ministry, especially for as long as they have. I mean, you were about born here, weren't you? Yeah. You could tell that when he preached on the church because he wasn't preaching about the church. He was preaching about his church. And, and here's what I felt like the Lord gave me for you guys. You know, the Joel 2, that scripture that we hang on to so much about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit says that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. That kind of feels backwards to me because vision is about accomplishing something here. Dreams are about way out there somewhere. So you would think young men would have dreams because they've got time to pursue them, right? And old men would be the ones working on vision, but that's not what he says. He says young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. And I felt like this was from the Lord for you. You guys test it and receive it. I believe God is saying that you need to dream bigger dreams. Dreams that are longer than you will live. Dreams that are higher than you can achieve. Dreams that embarrass you with their greatness so that they be, can become the vision that he walks out. I feel like the Lord says that the two of you together are more than father and son and more than pastor and associate. You are legacy carrying, kingdom building men of God. And you have always been a man who went after lost people. But God has more for you than being an evangelist. You have a prophetic edge. You have an apostolic anointing. You need to think bigger. You need to dream bigger because your dream 
that's so much bigger than you are that will last far longer than you will can become his vision. And the vision that he pursues becomes the reality of the dream come true that God releases through you. I told you this morning, I believe that the book of Haggai is a special place for this house. When they were rebuilding the temple, there were those that had been there in the first temple, Solomon's temple, greatest temple ever built. And they were weeping because the new temple didn't look like the old one. And God said to them, do you think this house doesn't compare with the former? But I wanna tell you that the glory of the latter house will exceed the glory of the former. I believe the glory of the latter house will exceed the glory of the former. So if he will do beyond your imagination, Mark, imagine more, imagine more, dream bigger. Don't be afraid to dream embarrassingly God-sized dreams because God has already prepared a man to carry that and make it vision that becomes reality. If you guys receive that, I'd like to pray over that with you. Is that, is that all right? Mac, would you come here? Mac Tucker, would you come here? I want you to pray with me. I believe God has his hand on this house. God doesn't visit regions like he's visited this region for many years without purpose. And he doesn't get done. He's not done here. And God is preparing a pathway with these two men to have dreams that are bigger than we can imagine accomplished in visions. And I wanna see that happen for you guys. Father, I thank you for these men of God. I thank you for the family they're building, not just their own biological family, yeah, but their spiritual family, this house. They've been here a long time, God. They've carried a burden for this house for a long time. I pray for a fresh anointing, fresh vision, greater dreams than they've dared to dream before, believing for stuff that if, if you don't show up in any way, it's gonna happen. Lord, I ask you to lift their eyes to see greater things, dreams and visions, dreams and visions accomplished by this man and son. Lord, I just thank you that you've prepared a pathway for this house. Send your fire on them fresh and new that generations yet unseen will one day look back and hear the stories of the dream that was too big that became the vision accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, amen. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to two places. I want you to turn to John chapter four, stick your finger in that, and then turn over to Acts chapter 16, put your finger in that. I wanna to talk to you this morning for a little while on something I feel like the Lord gave me for you as a house. I wanna to talk to you about living on borrowed time. John chapter four, this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Verse 23, 
Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, in, in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Would you pray with me? I want you to pray the prayer that matters. I want you to pray the prayer that makes every Sunday morning different from every other moment of time. Pray with me, please. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill our lives and awaken our spirits. Transform our minds this morning with the living word of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Come this morning, lift our chins, cause us to look up and realize redemption is near, renewal is near, revival is near. I pray for ignition this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Diane and I live on the space coast, so all things space are interesting to us. And there's a lady named Nagi Cox who lives on Earth but works on Mars. She was the head, the team director of the teams that put the three rovers on the surface of Mars. And what they discovered when they got there with their rovers was that a day on Mars is 40 minutes longer than a day on Earth. So she met with her team and said, you know, we work on Mars, so we ought to work on Mars time. So she had watches made for them. The weights in the watches were shifted so they would run slower. So they would run on Mars time. She had them come to work 40 minutes later every day. So it wasn't very long till the middle of the day in Mars was the middle of night on Earth. So they lived and breathed and worked on the planet they were seeking while they lived and breathed and walked on the planet they were living in. See, they were living on borrowed time. They borrowed time from Mars, but they lived that time on Earth. Think about it. They connected with another place that they were wanting to understand and they adjusted the life that they were living here in the most practical ways to live as if they were there while they were here. And the Mars watch was the thing that kept them on Mars time. They lived on borrowed time. When I read about that, I realized we do too. We live on borrowed time. We borrow time from heaven that gives meaning to our life on earth. 
You and I are not designed to live by the structures and strategies of this age. We are designed to live on the priorities, values, and timing of another place, a place that we're seeking to understand, but we live in it today. We are a people living on borrowed time. We live by a set of values that the world thinks are upside down, but in reality are the world turned right side up. We live in the seasons and the rhythms of another place. And if I find myself comfortable in this world, I'm living by the wrong clock. It always ought to feel like we're just a little out of whack with the world that we live in because we're living on borrowed time. See, if you, if you sum up the dream of God that he, he restated over and over and over and over and over again from Genesis to Revelation, his dream was this. I will be with them. I will live with them and they will be my people. That's the dream of God. When Jesus came, he was the dream of God in skin. He came and lived for a while among us, the scripture says, and we beheld his glory. And then when he left, he, he sent the very spirit that was in him to live in us because God wants to be with us so bad, he will live in these tents. And so his dream became a prayer that Jesus told us to pray all the time. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what he was saying? He's saying, I want you to go get heaven watches. Watches that the waiting system has been changed so that they're weighted to the values of heaven so that you live earthy, but live in eternity. You live in skin as if you have none. You live on earth as it is in heaven. That's the dream of God. So I was praying about this and I was saying, well, Lord, how do, how do we do that? How do we get our Mars watches, you know? How do we get our watches that are tuned to heaven? And I came to understand that the most important thing we can do to recalibrate the watch to the time of heaven so that we are living on earth as it is in heaven, probably the most important thing we can do, we call worship. Whether it's worship in a corporate setting like this, and oh, that was good this morning, wasn't it? Or if it's worship in my quiet time, or like my son who called us weeping last night because of a rainbow that was over his house and he fell on his knees with his eight-year-old son and experienced the presence of God. It's the visitation of the heavenly atmosphere in the earthiness of our lives. Worship is the thing that recalibrates our sense of time and season and rhythm to the atmosphere of heaven. 
I know some people looking at me like right now, like you've done lost your mind, boy. What are you talking about? You don't understand. Listen, I'm not talking about some pie in the sky thing that denies the reality of life as it is. But Jesus never intended for us to live life as it is. He intended that our clocks would be set to life as it should be. And as we take steps toward life as it should be, life as it can be, becomes kingdom life in us. You see, worship changes the weights, what we weigh things as, their significance. You know that word we sang so many times this morning, worthy? You know what it means? Worth it. So when you say, Jesus, you're worth it, you're worth it. You're saying that my values, what weights the values of my life is your presence. Let me tell you something. Worship will shift your understanding of what you're going through. David understood it better than anybody in Psalm 11. He says, why do you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountains? Why are you saying to me, run away from my problems, deny them as if they don't exist? And he asks a question, when the foundations are being destroyed, what will the righteous do? You know what his answer to it was? The Lord is on his heavenly throne. The Lord is in his holy temple. You know what he was saying? It doesn't matter if the foundations of your world seem to be shaking. There is one who has never been shaken. He sits on his throne, he reigns unchallenged, and there's nothing in your life beyond his hand. <laughs> Psalm 73, the whole first half of that Psalm is one of the most depressing things you'll ever read. Sam, there'll never be a worship song out of the first half of Psalm 73. I can guarantee you that. The whole thing is about, Lord, I look around me and all I see is you blessing the bad people and cursing the good people. All the bad people seem to be getting money. All your friends are poor. I mean, the whole thing is about how upside down the world is. And then to listen to what David said. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I went into the house of the Lord. Then I understood. You know what he's saying? I can't make sense of what I see until I stand in your presence and in your presence, the unthinkable begins to make sense because you reign. You see, worship has the ability to recalibrate the watch, it's how we borrow time. Worship, particularly, praise in the hard places. Particularly worship in the painful moments. Establishes us once again as people of the presence. We are not a people of a creed. We are not the people of a book. We are not the people of an ideology. We are the people 
of his presence. Do you remember when Moses prayed on the mountain and he said, Lord, show me your glory. You remember what brought about that prayer? God said to him, you can lead the people into the land. I'll send angels with you to make sure you get there and you conquer, but I'm not going with this people anymore. And he says to God, if you don't go, if your presence isn't with us, what will distinguish us from all the other people in the world? Hear what he's saying? We are identified by presence. We are a people of presence. Why do we stand here and lift our hands and sing songs about lions inside of us? Why do we do that stuff? Because we're people who believe the living God lives among us. His presence is our identity. You see, presence establishes identity. Presence-based worship establishes intimacy. But the sacrifice of praise, praise that says presence at any cost, that establishes destiny. So I not only am identified by presence, but I find my closeness to him in his presence. And by claiming his presence in the face of the worst, my destiny is sealed. You know why? Because I've said to him, I want your presence more than anything. And to that he responds, I'll never take my presence from somebody like that. That's what the woman at the well heard. These are the kinds of worshipers the father seeks. I I don't know if you realize it, but every Sunday morning when you come in here and people pick up these instruments and they start leading you in worship, God is on a scavenger hunt. God comes into the house looking for worshipers, seeking seekers. You know what it says in the Old Testament? His eyes roam the entire earth all the time looking for people he can show himself strong to. People who value his presence. So every Sunday morning, you have the opportunity to be picked out or overlooked. And the only difference is your praise. God's looking for it every day in your life. When the stuff of life happens, what is your initial response? Oh, I struggle with this one. This kind of worship is easy for me. I was born for this stuff. Me and Mac Tucker met as worship leaders when we were about 12 or something like that. (laughs) What brought us together was our love for worship. That's easy. It isn't nearly as easy when the boss calls and he rides you for about 30 minutes for something you didn't do. It's a little harder to say, oh, bless you, Jesus. When you want to say, Lord, strike him on the chin, just like it says in Psalm, just strike him on the chin. You see, the kind of praise that you give when life isn't okay 
that kind of praise is a two-way street because you're inviting intimacy with God. But from his side, you know what he's hearing? You're inviting him to intrude. You're saying, God, you have my permission to come mess around with all this stuff that ain't working. I'm inviting you in. He loves worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he was telling the woman at the well. He was saying, you know, you don't get it. The Jewish people don't get it. But listen to this. A time is coming and has now come. Wait a minute. What is that? That's borrowed time. He's saying what will be one day already is for people who learn to worship in spirit and in truth. What will be becomes what is heaven on earth to those who are willing to say, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. You see, worshipers, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. Worshipers who intensify their, their praise in proportion to their pain attract presence. Worshipers who intensify their praise in proportion to their pain invite presence. God's looking for those kind of people. It's called in the Bible the sacrifice of praise. Bill Johnson, pastor at Bethel, lost his wife last year, July 17th of last year, she died. Four years they had prayed for her healing. This was a church, this is a church that believes in healing. They've seen thousands of miracles. People all over the world were praying for Benny. She still passed away. Bill got up and he said, in those final moments when the family was with her, their response was to worship. Because he said, you see, the only place you can give God the sacrifice of praise is here on earth in the middle of your pain. Because when we get to heaven, none of that will exist. There'll be no sacrifice in our praise. We'll be standing face to face with the living God in the redemptive clothes of Jesus Christ. There'll be no pain. But here, here, when life gets raw and real and you stand and say, I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, when you do that, you're offering the sacrifice of praise and that worship moves heaven. You see, I want to go now to Acts 16. I mentioned it to you a little bit ago. Great story. You've heard it. Paul and Silas get stuck in a Philippian jail, get beat half to death, locked in the darkest part of the prison, chained to a wall. And then this happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas sang. Now, there ain't many people in the world that would not think that's about the stupidest thing they've ever heard in their life. 
You have literally been beat within an inch of your life. You're dragged into a prison cell so dark you can't see your nose in front of your face. You are slammed against the wall in chains. Yeah, yeah, it's a natural response. Let's sing. Mm. About midnight, Paul and Silas sang. They were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. You want the world to take us serious? They'll take us serious when we pray and sing with the same energy when God hasn't answered our prayer the way we thought he would as when he's done it just like we said. You will get the world's attention because they've never seen anything like that. That's spirit and truth worship. You see, there are moments in your life like Paul and Silas in that prison where the enemy does everything he can to destroy your sense of who you are and distort your sense of who he is. That's the main purpose the enemy has in the hard things that he throws into your face. He wants you to doubt who you are in Jesus and he wants you to doubt who Jesus is to you. If he can shake either one of those pillars in your life, he will bring the temple of your life down around your head. So he rattles your cage. And sometimes you get that feeling. You've been beat within an inch of your life. You can't hardly get up one more time. Or you're strapped against a wall in a dark prison. I want to give you a piece of advice. Learn to sing there. Because that kind of worship will shake the circumstances you are in and shape the world around you. In their agony, Paul and Silas chose to offer the fruit of their lips, the sacrifice of praise. It changed the trajectory of their history. It changed the lives of the jailer and all his family. It changed everything because they sang in the middle of their pain. You see, only people who were living on borrowed time, time they've borrowed from heaven, can do that. But I'm telling you, heaven looks for it. Do you remember when Stephen was stoned? Now, the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What was he doing when he sat down? He was saying, it's done. I don't need to do anything else. Just watch what happens now. But when Stephen is literally having huge stones hurled at him, beating the life out of him, one stone after another, he looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why? Because worship, when you're in pain, creates a reaction in Jesus. And he stands up. What's he doing when he's standing? 
He's saying, wait a minute now, I'm going to get involved in this mess. Nothing like it when you, when you choose to sing in your pain and you can hear the rustle of the son standing up next to the father going, hey, wait, 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 just a minute here. We're going to do something about this. Two things I want you to remember. When you live on borrowed time, it cultivates your earth to heaven connection. You see, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You know what they did on earth? They began to make music that created resonance in heaven. Now, I got to tell you, Pastor Mark, the only church I've ever seen that's had two grand pianos at the front. Mac and I could come up here and we could have dueling pianos, you know, be like a piano bar. But if they're in tune with each other and with these guitars, if you play the chord on that piano, you know what happens to the strings on these other ones? They start vibrating because the sound waves from that piano create resonance on these other strings and they begin to vibrate in the same pitches as the piano. That's what happened that day in that prison. They started singing and heaven started shaking in resonance and response to people who chose to praise in their pain. And the beautiful part is it says, and all the other prisoners heard them. Listen, I'm so tired of the church trying to hide our pain and deny that it happens, act like we don't go through hard stuff. You want to reach a world that's broken, they've got to see your scars. They got to realize somebody went through this and survived it. 23 years ago, I deconstructed my entire family. I imploded my family with decisions I made. It took years for us to put it all back together. Some people say to me, stop talking about it, Michael. That was 23 years ago. I'm never going to stop talking about it because every time we gather, somebody in that house feels like they're too far gone. And I want to tell you, there is no such place as too far gone. I've got the scars to prove it. The world needs to see people who sang when it was hard to sing. You see, through worship, we confiscate our thoughts from the prison of the present and we release them into the freedom of the future. Satan hates it because his greatest goal in your life is to convince you that the temporary position you are in right now is going to be your permanent place. And when you praise, you remind him, your permanent place is at the right hand of God. It changes our focus and it shifts the atmosphere that we are in. I, I call it the invincible power of the yet mindset. 
It's Habakkuk. You remember him? Old Testament prophet. Gutsy guy. He stood up in front of God and asked God two questions. They'll sound familiar to you. How long and why? It's in the Bible. Read it yourself. First chapter. How long are you going to act like this, God? You know what he was saying to God? You're acting up here. You're not, you're not doing God stuff. You're not acting very godly here. How long is that going to go on? How long are you going to act in a way that doesn't make sense to me? Second chapter. Why? Because God says, oh, you think I'm not acting good now. Wait till I bring the Babylonians in to bring punishment to the people that bear my name. And he says, why are you going to do that? Into chapter two, he says, listen, I'm going to stand right here till you tell me how long and why. God does not answer either one of those questions in chapter three. All he does is tell him who he is. And at the end of the chapter, Habakkuk says, though there are no fig trees blooming, there's no fruit on the vine. There's no cattle in the stalls. There's no sheep in the pen. Yet, I will praise you, my King and my God. He didn't answer his questions. He showed him his face. And when he saw his face, his questions didn't matter anymore. It's the shift that comes when you stand and say, honestly, this is what life looks like, yet I will praise him. Heaven trembles and hell quakes when they hear yet. The second thing that that praise in your pain does is it curates the heaven to earth connection. You see, it cultivates your earth to heaven affection, but then it curates the heaven to earth connection. You remember that resonance we were talking about a minute ago? Well, let me tell you something. When you praise in your pain, heaven begins to shake in response. And when heaven shakes, so does earth. Because the next thing that happens is the entire jailhouse starts shaking. Chains fall off. Doors open up. Jailer thinks everybody's going to leave, wants to kill himself. Paul says, no, 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 wait. That's not the way God think, does things. He didn't do this just to set us free. He did it to set you and your family free too. You see, God is drawn to hearts that long. To hearts that say as the deer, pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You, God, Psalm 63, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. God is drawn to hearts that long for him. Somehow, when he hears you in the midst of the wait, looking up and saying, you're still worth it. You're so good, you're still worth it. 
heaven is drawn. God is seeking those kind of worshipers. What does it look like? It looks like Psalm 22. That's the one Jesus quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can't get any farther down than that, than feeling like your papa has left you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. See, Jesus didn't have enough strength to quote that far down. All he could get out in the agony of the cross was God. Why have you forsaken me? But a little farther down, it says it doesn't matter what I'm going through right now and what it looks like to the world. You make a throne on the praise I give you from this place. You sit down in authority because I've praised you in the middle of my pain. The outcome of that story in Acts 16 is Paul and Silas got joy in their hearts and authority in heaven because they chose to sing in the middle of the prison. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Nothing I've talked to you about this morning is easy. I'm not idealistic about this. I know what it is to implode my family to such a degree that I've lost, I lost everything. And only by the mercy and grace of God was I ever able to pull any of it back together. I know what it is to watch my mom descend into Alzheimer's last 10 years of her life. She didn't know my name. I know what it is to go through a physical illness that cost me five years of my life and ultimately most of my insides. I know what that's like. I'm not talking from a void. I'm just telling you, if your clock is set to heaven, you have the ability to praise in your pain. And that's one of the quickest ways for the kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The the, the problem is the pain sometimes makes you forget your song. I hope you don't mind, Mac, but we were over at Mac's church for his retirement. He and Allie were retiring and such a fun time to watch all those worship leaders from all the years that he had taught and trained them, Sam being one of them, come back and lead worship. And we had been there enough preaching that I kind of preached under each one of those worship leaders, you know. But that Sunday morning, his favorite worship leader was leading, McKendry, his son. Mac was playing the bass that day because you can't get a worshiper not to worship on an instrument. Just can't. You know, he'll find something to play. And he's back there in the corner playing the bass. And as a great worship leader, he sensed God doing something. And I watched him set his bass guitar down. And he walked across the stage. And he leaned over to the piano and he whispered something to McKendry. Then he walked down off the front of the stage. Now, I was seated about right there. Piano was about right there, and Mac was standing right between me. So I had a direct line of sight for father and son. 
And I noticed that McKendry shifted and he began to sing a song. I, did, I hadn't heard the song before. But I noticed as a former worship leader, because I can tell the look on your face when you're not sure you know that one. And you got this look on your face like, help me, Jesus. I don't know the words. I don't know the chords. But he starts singing it. And I can see he's struggling for the lyrics. Mac had one of these little gadgets on. And he starts whispering into the microphone the words so his son can hear him and sing them. And when he heard the father's voice, he remembered the song. And he starts singing. You get to one point and I see Mac say to him, let's do the bridge. McKendry told me later, I went, is there a bridge to that song? <laughs> and so Mac saw that he was struggling. So Mac started singing the bridge until McKendry remembered it. And he picked it up and started singing. And I watched this prophetic moment as the father sang to the son until the son could remember the song again. After the whole service was over, I walked up to McKendry and was kidding him about it. And he said, well, the bad part about it, Michael, is I wrote that song. <laughs> he said, I wrote that song when I was about 16. He said, but I couldn't remember it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the Father never forgets the song he created you to write. And if he has to sing it to you for you to remember your song, he'll do it. He'll guide you with his mouth until you're singing the song he designed and built you to sing. Sometimes you forget your own song. Life gets hard. And you don't know how to sing when you're strapped to the wall. Listen, because the Father has never forgotten the song he made you to sing. Listen for him. He'll speak it to you. He'll sing it to you if he has to. He had to do that to me. I completely forgot why he made me. I got to tell you, the voice of that man right there was part of the voice of God to sing to me, to remind me why I was made. So if you're standing in that moment of difficulty, in that painful time, and you go, man, I'd love to sing in this moment and attract heaven with my praise, my watch is broke. If you'll just worship, go ahead and sing. Even if you can't remember the words and the tune's a little off, sing. Sing, sing, sing. Because ultimately, you're going to hit the right note. Heaven will begin to vibrate in resonance. And when heaven trembles, earth shakes. Because he is looking for those kinds of worshipers.
I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We're going to do some of this for the next few minutes. Because I guarantee you there's some people in this room that have forgotten your song. I know there's some people in this room. You're going through it right now. It's hard. Sometimes even as a congregation, we, we start wondering, are, are we still who we thought we were? I'm going to tell you something. Nothing will clear the atmosphere. Nothing will shift the outcome. Like if you will stand and praise him in the middle of it. I'm going to guarantee you one thing. Heaven is listening. God's still on the scavenger hunt this morning. Will he find worshipers? We're going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. It might be you need to come stand here to sing your song. Because you need to get all up in the devil's face. Tell him, I don't care what you've thrown in my life. I believe he's worth it. You might need to stand right where you are. Wherever you stand, understand. If you sing, he stands up too. At the right hand of the Father. Stand with me if you would. Father God. You search and seek and long for longers and yearners and seekers and singers and worshipers. Willing to give you the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips in the face of the fire in our lives. And oh, how heaven longs to respond. I sense Holy Spirit all of heaven leaning over, listening, just waiting for the song to break forth from the person who doesn't feel like singing. Angelic beings stand ready to respond. Heaven trembles in anticipation for the song of the redeemed. Father, help us in this moment, in the face of the enemy to realize there is a table prepared for us in this moment. A table in the presence of our enemies filled with the feast of God. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.